This is the 451. I'm Summer Brennan. I'm Jesse Hirsch. And I'm Jonathan Mann. And we are a podcast for the resistance. Jonathan, was it a reaction to the fact that you asked all of your friends and associates what their worst fears were? And it made you, and it made it, you sick? It honestly, it, and I even posted this on Facebook, it, it honestly felt that way. Because uh-huh. I just, I but right before I went to bed, I was just like reading, you know, and I got a ton of responses. I was like reading like everybody's worst fears. It was comforting almost in a way. It was like, oh, okay, we're all. Was it? It was. It was like, we're all, we're all just like terrified together and there's something about that and then i go to sleep with that in my brain and then i wake up and i'm like seriously like shivering and like and like and and my stomach hurts really bad i'm like and i take my temperature and i'm like i have a huge fever i'm like what did i do to myself yeah i saw you post that and then i i'm i'm like creeping back onto aspects of social media here and there and i I saw that and I saw the top response, which was like, you know, nuclear war in the end of the world. And I was like, okay, I'm going <laughs> to log gonna out now. <laughs> I'm going to go read a book. Oh, um, yeah. But yeah. Last night, Jonathan, I was talking to some friends who were feeling kind of hopeless. And uh, <laughs> I mentioned your uh, hopeful thing from last week about that we're all pretty much insignificant specks of dust that uh-huh. are only here for like a millisecond anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just looked around at this, this group of people who were just aghast. <laughs> I was like, no, 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 it's good. It's yeah, good, it's I, good no, thing. I don't know about, I don't know about that. <laughs> don't take yourself so seriously, everybody. You don't matter at all. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> it is February 2nd, 2017, as we record this. As you guys were hearing, I have been trying to cultivate a different kind of relationship to social media and the news. Mm-hmm. It's been going okay. So that means I get to do things like catch up on all the horrible things that have been happening. How does that compare, like following it, like the, the ongoing roiling mess that it is verse, like versus downloading it into your brain? Like a short, short, sharp shock. Yeah, um, I have to say that, I mean, it depends on what you're doing as your job. Yeah. I mean, for me working on stories and writing and this book I'm trying to finish, it's really hard for me to maintain my focus when I'm constantly getting pulled in all these directions of, of the news stories. Um, so I, I I find it better. I mean, it just depends on what your needs are and how you want to be responding to the news. Like if you want to be commenting on an hourly basis, um, then you have to know what's happening. But if you're not doing that or can't do that for whatever reason, then I don't see anything wrong in just catching up at the end of the day or even the end of the week. I mean, I don't think that I want to be commenting on an hourly basis, but as, as <laughs> soon as I dive into the Twitter swimming pool, I just can't get out again. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm like, I'm here, so let me tell everybody what I think. Well, yeah. Check this out. Retweet, retreat. You know, it's hard to pull back. Yes, that was what my problem was as well. It is hard to pull back. And um, even when you want to, like I was saying to a writer friend this week and it used to be that I could take a little break from whatever I was working on, transcribing an interview or whatever, and like jump onto Twitter for like 15 minutes and see what was going on and maybe try to contribute to a conversation or check in with people I know. Or... You mean like pre-election? Is yeah, this... yeah. yeah. Um, and, and then get out again and sort of yeah. leave it there to fulfill my responsibilities as right. a human being slash person with a job. But one thing that was helpful is that it can sometimes sort of crystallize what one needs to know. And so, for example, I just was like, okay, what's happening with the cabinet? Right. Like who's, who's at what stage of confirmation and, and all that? 
So I made a little list. So what is so what did you find? <laughs> What's up? Well, um, so I realized, you know, there's several stages, right, that they have to go through. And I don't think I had been totally clear yeah. on exactly how that works. So there's yeah. the confirmation hearing and then there's the committee vote. Right. right. And then right. there's the full Senate vote. And then they're in the majority of them are through the committee vote and waiting for the full Senate vote. But people we've already have and are stuck with um, are Kelly for Homeland Security, Mattis, Secretary of Defense, Nikki Haley for the UN. Gross. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Elaine Chow McConnell for transportation. I forgot for a minute when I was reading about her that she was Mitch McConnell's wife. And I was reading her bio and I was just for like a second. I just was like, oh, she seems kind of normal. I'm like, oh, that's right. That's why she has that job. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. No offense, Mrs. Chow. Um, and then, um, and then of course, we have Rex. Tillerson. Rex Tillerson. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Oil Man. T-Rex. Yeah. Who I, I still think... I saw a great little meme about him that he always looks like an aide has just notified him that Jason Bourne has resurfaced in Prague. Yeah, I saw that too. <laughs> <laughs> and I I love that. It's so yeah. true. Um, anyway, and then we've got, you know, awaiting, awaiting full Senate vote. We have, you know, Zinc, Department of the Interior, Ross for Commerce, Carson for HUD, Perry, Dancing with the Stars for uh. Secretary of Energy, Price for Health and Human Services, Mnuchin for Treasury, DeVos, who it looks like maybe she isn't going to make it through. Yeah. That's maybe too hopeful, but it seems like that's possible. Trump's whole thing is like, if they hit you, you hit back twice as hard. Who is he going to choose after Betsy DeVos? Right. What what kind of monster will replace? What, like, you know, like, (laughs) like, yeah. Let's go a little lower than that. It's hard to imagine how you could get worse than her for that position, but but I also am used to this enough now where I'm like, if... It's just a lack of imagination on my part, <laughs> you know, because yeah, certainly he can figure it sure, out. That's true. Um, someone pointed out to me last night that uh, one of the big reasons that she would be opposed, by, especially by senators in rural states, is that if she does push through a plan to, to make charter schools the way to go, there are places that a lot of Americans live that are so rural. I mean, they're not going to have that option, um, you know. Yep. yep. Of course. Yeah. It's an it's an yeah. insane idea. Like it's it's, insane it, it's idea. ridiculous. Um, so we also have our friends, Jeff Sessions. <laughs> yeah. Um, not to just like list. I'm sorry to depress everyone is listing the cabinet. Um, and then um, McMahon for business. And then awaiting the committee vote, we've got Pruitt for the EPA, Mulvaney for management and budget, Shulkin for vet affairs. And then people who haven't had confirmation hearings at all yet is uh, Pudzer. Putzer, yeah. Lighthizer, and Purdue. And how much do you want to bet that Trump thinks that per, that Sonny Purdue is related to the chicken Purdue people? <laughs> yeah, and thinks he's a, a delicious pick. No, I'm yeah. serious. Like I really, no, of I, course, of course. I, I needed to look it up to see that they weren't in any way connected, and they're not that I can see. But I bet Trump thinks. Well, let's are, talk about the so. ones that are most likely to actually have a fight. Like Pudzer, I've heard a lot of talk that he is not going to get an easy nomination. Oh yeah. Yeah, they uh, the the Democrats boycotted. Uh, I think it was a committee vote, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. Uh, they they just didn't show up. Oh right, yes, I did see that in my evening yeah. briefing from the New York Times. <laughs> yeah. Did, did you mention Min- Mnuchin? Or For something? yeah, he is past the committee vote and awaiting the Senate vote. There's also there's also the bit about what what Democrats like many Democrats have voted yes. On many Democrats? Yeah. What qualifies as many in this case? Gillibrand 
is the one that has voted no the most. Thank you. Um, (laughs) I think it was, I think it was so, so far four out of five. She's voted no. And then people like Sanders, Warren, Booker, a handful of other people have voted, I think three out of five. No. Bernie Sanders voted yes on somebody. Kelly and Mattis were the only ones that he approved. Kelly and Mattis. Yeah. Only two out of five. Yeah, he's against Pompeo, Haley, Chow, and Tillerson at this point. So Booker Booker voted, you know, yes on two of them. Warren, as we know, voted yes uh, in on committee Carson. On, on Carson. Why? <laughs> but no, it's true. There are some people like this guy from Virginia, Warner, uh, who voted just yes across the board to everybody. Why? Why, Warner? How many, how many Democrats is that? That have voted yes across the board, uh, or 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 have voted yes like four out of five times. Well, there's Claire McCaskill from Missouri. She did four out of yeah. five. Feinstein, Feinstein did. Yeah, Feinstein, Feinstein voted for all of them. That doesn't surprise me. No offense, Senator Feinstein, but <laughs> <laughs> I feel like honestly, I feel like these people are gonna get primaried. Well, Mar- Margaret Hassan from New Hampshire, four out of five. Senator Feinstein has done some great stuff, but she's also very conservative and a lot of. A lot of ways. My dad says she's a Republican. <laughs> just got, uh-huh. But that's just my dad. So. I feel like we're heading into some real deal like dino, like Democrat and name only type territory. You know? Oh, God. Like, Can we come up with a, a non like stone from the right <laughs> term? Now that they've seen the outrage mm-hmm. that exists among their constituents, like yeah. maybe they will be more hardline. People are bringing up a really good point, which is like, you kind of have nothing to lose at this point. It's just about, it's like literally just about obstruction. Most of them are going to go through anyway. So mm-hmm. what do you have to lose by... They're being political. I know, but it's like... Which is gross, but they're politicians. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So, well, it's what they do. Whenever people would like politicians to do a certain thing, they need to provide political cover for that. And that's why things like protest and public outcry matters so much. Like it gives motivation and cover for fellow citizens to join them because it's scary for people to feel like they're standing out, but it also gives political cover for the politicians. And then the more politicians that are on board, the more it encourages others to do it. And so it's not futile to do this stuff. Um, Well, here's a a question, because I just read something in the the post this morning saying that the Supreme Court uh, nominee. Oh, that guy. (laughs) That we we should stand down. Right, that, that that this guy is reasonable enough, and so like let's save the the, the Dems should no. Dems should save their fight for you know later on down the line, and Michael Moore is being too vitriolic, blah 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 blah. See, the thing I don't understand about that, and I agree with you, Summer, about about you know it's up to us to sort of like have their backs in the in the and give them enough cover, but right, I don't understand this idea of like saving your fight. No, like <laughs> you, you, there's enough fight to go around. There's like right. And this is the thing that really bugs me. Somebody put it really succinctly yesterday, and now I forget exactly how he put it, so I'm going to put it not as succinctly. But it's it's basically about, like, Democrats play to how it's going to look on the Hill and their relationships there. And and Republicans don't give a a crap about that. They play to their base. Like, they've learned to just, like, steamroll through and, and only play to their base. And... You can argue like maybe we, would, we don't want to stoop to their level, but I think that's a dumb argument. I think like mm-hmm. if it works, it works, and you should do what. what yeah, works. There, there was also something suggested in that article um, that if if we were to fight the nominee, the Supreme Court nominee now, that we would lose the ability to fight later. I don't think that's how it works. <laughs> that does, uh, yeah, that doesn't make sense to me. No, I, I mean, <laughs> like if we get one shot, right? No, 
I don't think so. <laughs> Great. Now, like, M&M's in between my head. For... Yeah, I was reading about this guy, and he's, like, he's a Scalia Mini me. He did. He did call Merrick Garland immediately after he was announced. What to um, be like? Nan, 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 nan. No, no. To, to actually, to actually be like, uh, you know, show of respect. He had come out. Oh. He he had come out in the last year and said it was shameful what the Republicans were doing. That they should, that Merrick Garland was a great choice and that he should be he should be on the Supreme Court. Yeah, yeah. but like read about this guy. Like I mean, I was reading about him and it was talking about his views on law and the Constitution, and it called him an originalist. And the more I read it, I'm like, oh, like the ta- like the Taliban, like yeah, like that's right. <laughs> like yeah. I mean that's he, An originalist. He, he wants to think about you know, the original, getting back to the Constitution, and and it puts all this modern stuff um, in jeopardy because like it didn't because we were racist and horrible in like the 1700s, basically. <laughs> I mean, right. I don't know, like t- talking about whether it's with equality issues or women's health issues or whatever, that seemed that those things would be in, in danger. I mean, Scalia's his ideology on the Supreme Court was terrible. You know, sorry, sir, for, you know, whatever, God rest his soul, et cetera. But like, we really don't want a repeat of him. And this guy's in his 40s. I mean, he's 49, but still. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's young. And um, yeah, and, and I just was reading about him. I'm like, oh, he's like the Taliban, but for America. So great. So let's definitely oppose that this morning when I went to one of my favorite websites, NewYorkTimes.com, um, and actually <laughs> oh, that is a good one. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one, <laughs> and also WashingtonPost.com. Um, they both have the same photograph or almost the same photograph on their like main page of Trump in the Oval Office with Flynn and Bannon, and I felt for a second that I was going to be ill. Like I, yeah, I saw that picture. It's pretty jarring, and there's something so terrifying about that yeah yes there's so many wait, things that are so terrifying wait, about it. What, what is this photo what's, what's so it's just about it? it's because it's trump and flynn and bannon in the oval office it trump's on the phone call with mexican president no no or it's australia australia australian president yeah, yeah and um and it did not go well apparently no it went poorly thank you australia keep it up yeah and there's flynn you know remember who's the guy that oh there it is oh my god yeah. they're, they're just evil they're just blatantly evil nobody <laughs> had to confirm them I, I, I shouldn't go around calling people evil, but... It's a shoe fits. Well, I think that sharing videos that advocate genocide is pretty evil, yeah. um, which is what Flynn does. I mean, that, that stuff that he has, I think it's even still up. He didn't even have the whatever to delete it. Um, and Bannon, who says that he idolizes Darth Vader and the devil. Mm-hmm. And there they are in the Oval Office, like planning the initial stages of Darth Vader, like chaos and, and doom. Yeah. Yeah. We, and we haven't even really got have we even talked about the Muslim ban yet. What it comes down to for me with the Muslim ban is like as freaked out as we've all been for, you know, since the election. My life has not really on a day to day material level changed that much yet. Mm-hmm. And now. You know, I actually, as I was laying in bed last night, I was just thinking about all of the people whose lives have been completely and utterly upended and painful choices being made and the uncertainty that people are are living with as a result of this ban. Students like all across the country, international students that don't know, like if they they can't go home to visit their families because they can't come back or. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, people people trying to visit sick relatives and yeah this is a this is affecting people immediately yeah. in huge ways it's 
I mean, on every level, it's unacceptable. It's unacceptable legally. It's unconstitutional. It's it's a violation of people's rights. It's morally wrong. I mean, it's 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 against values as Americans. It's against values as human beings. It's also strategically really stupid. Yes, I was just gonna say that. Yeah. Um, it's very. It's very dumb. Um, it makes us way less safe. Right. I mean, I, you know, not to be like, you know, in grad school, I studied Middle Eastern politics and I know a little bit about all that stuff. I worked on this stuff at the UN. Like, this is dumb. This this isn't even like extreme, but might make us safer. This is just a horrible idea across the board that will do nothing but mobilize. Right. Given ISIS recruitment tools. Recruitment tools. ISIS is so happy about this, right? They're thrilled. Yeah. And part of me, a big part of me, thinks that Bannon knows that, and that's part of the point. Of course yes. he does. I mean, look at his website. His whole point is like incitement. And what I don't understand is the whole thing about the religious minorities. My immediate thought was, oh, so they're letting Sh- Shias in? But wait, but they can't because Iran is Shia country. So I don't really get it. So they don't mean they don't mean religious minorities. Oh, they mean one. Yeah. They mean one minority. They, <laughs> they mean, mean Christians. One. Yeah. And Jews. Yeah. I doubt it. I mean. I doubt it. Ah. Uh, given given Bannon's proclivities, but but maybe I don't know. Given given Bannon's proclivities, but also I mean there is public relations. I don't think that matters. <laughs> no, that just wouldn't look good. Yeah, seriously. But also, even historically, the people that are at the helm of genocidal or persecution or exclusionary actions like this, they often don't even really believe their own rhetoric that much. Like the point is to consolidate power and yeah. mobilize people against another group to scapegoat. It, they right. don't actually care often. I mean, historically, it's not like they personally have a deep seated hatred of. Yeah. Another group, maybe they do, but Trump has businesses and he's totally Islamophobic. But it's more that he's mobilizing the Islamophobia of his base because yeah. mm-hmm. he, he has business partners that are that are Muslim oh, yeah. that are that are you know from the Gulf states. He invokes nine eleven, you know, which had which was carried out by people in the countries that he did not have the ban impose the ban upon. But you know, that's not a talking point. This is maybe one of the one of the most frustrating things that I've found is just encountering not even necessarily Trump supporters, but I think rank and file normal Republicans on Facebook will, you know, pop up in a comment here and there. And they're just, they're flabbergasted by the way that the left is reacting to Trump. And they're still, you know, I mean, when I say still, we're what, 12 days into his presidency, but like, they're just taking a wait and see thing. They, they have no sense of the danger that we're in. Really? Yeah, they really? must have some sense. No, they really don't. I, I mean, I, 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 I mean, I, I, I'm making I'm making broad generalizations based on a few interactions, so that's probably not good. Mm-hmm. Are you talking about like people, like you know, your uncle's friend on Facebook? <laughs> yes. Like, is this who you're talking about? Okay. Yes. Just wanted to check in. Who puts those memes up? Uh, I think part of it is the news bubble filter thing. It's like they just don't they don't get the right. same news that we do. They don't get the same. Maybe I am making too big of a broad generalization based on too few. No, look who's pres look who's president. I mean yeah, clearly right. there's like <laughs> look at the news. Like clearly yeah. there's a, a large contingent of not enough to give somebody like a popular vote win, which he lost by three million votes. But um yeah. most people consume the news, I think less than I have in the last week where I'm like guilt stricken with my lack of like right. news consumption. So True. That was maybe unfair, but I do think the majority of people they have their lives they have responsibilities yeah i mean that's true the world over i think and now maybe more than ever people are sort of tuning in 
to social media and all this stuff, which is why you have this like article, like I read in the guardian, which was about all this overload and like, how can you survive like this? And talked about like Audrey yeah. Lord saying how self-care is a political weapon. And she was speaking yeah. specifically as a black woman who traditionally is, you know, relegated to serving roles and, and right. isn't, you know, it, it was a political act for her to value herself. But, and Foucault talks about it too, like the need and revolution to be strong first. And anyway. Um, but yeah, it, no, that's great. People have their lives. They have jobs. They have families. They have elderly parents to care for or babies or all kinds of things. And not everybody is tuned into everything that's going on. So they might be like, oh, Muslim ban? What's, I don't know. It's not really a Muslim ban. It's just there's countries sending terrorists and we're stopping the terrorists. And they don't realize that that's exactly not yeah how it works yeah all the details all the details like they just they don't they literally yeah don't have time for or 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 even if they when they do have time for like the news that they're getting because of the sort of bifurcation of how that works they're just not they're not being exposed to to the details there were, there was a flurry of stories that came out where where uh again the the white heartland voters were gone and it kind of Hold about whether or not this was mm. good, the Muslim ban, and it, it really did just seem like exactly what we're talking about here. That they they hadn't dug deep into it, but it did seem like, hey, you know, we are making good on pro- or he is making good on promises, and now we're more safe. It's hard to confront that, but I remember being a teenager in California, and I grew up in a pretty liberal part of the state, and I mean, I was too young to vote, but there was issues around. I think it was Proposition Eight or something like that, and it was about firing teachers to basically tell on students they thought might be illegal oh god yeah it didn't pass but like at the time i don't know i heard some people talking about it and i was like oh okay and the way it had been explained to me i was like 15 or something the way it had been explained was well you know it's just like any crime you should be required to report a crime oh god right and i didn't know anything i was like 15 i was like oh that's interesting and i started talking about it with my my good friend emily martinez so my friend said to me hey, here's the thing about that, you know, and kind of explained it to me in a way that I hadn't ever, I hadn't had to think about. And she was like, so who do you think is going to get pointed out as possibly being illegal? (laughs) Oh, wow, it's really racist. And she's like, yep. (laughs) And anyway, so my point being that it's it's hard for someone who gets it to to maybe understand why somebody would be that ignorant. But if you kind of grow up in any kind of bubble, you just maybe don't know that that's not, how it works so anyway that's me giving the benefit of the doubt to people who are perhaps accidentally harboring racist ideas i like that i like that a lot because i i sort of believe that too i feel like being aware of this stuff is a continuum right and Mm -hmm. richard spencer's of the world sort of notwithstanding like most people if they were exposed to these ideas in a way that was that could make them think i have to think and i really do think that a lot of people would come around if you were to expose some of these you know gop rank and file people that i'm talking to on 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 facebook to to the realities that that families are being you know uh separated and things like this that i feel like that some of that empathy gap would be filled but uh, like islamophobia is deeply ingrained in american culture and that was done on purpose you know we used to have a very different reaction to the muslim world like as a culture um and it changed dramatically in the 70s because of our change in relationships because of like the you know the oil crisis and opec and and our shifting politics changed the way we view even like common imagery like women wearing veils or 
you know, what have you. And um, there are great, lots of great books on about that. But anyway, I mean, and, you know, the 80s, like the stock movie villain in 80s movies was like the, the Arab terrorist. Like when we had the um, the war in Afghanistan, like there was a meeting that they invited advertising executives to. Wow. I mean, this is all documented um, where they decided, like, how are we going to sell the war? How are we going to sell this war on terror? And they decided to use images of veiled women. And like, okay, we're going to we're going to sell it as liberating women from Islam. And so we're going to use the burqa. And our own government has consciously used Islamic imagery to scare us. So even I think people that are well-meaning that don't want to be racist have still been raised. Many Americans anyway, white Americans especially, have been raised with this fear of Islam. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, even when they want to be more accepting, still have this fear because it's been planted in them since childhood right. by pop culture. And so if you have that. Let just do see what you can to like explore yeah. that a little bit. And, you know, I, but I think that and I mean, kudos to the people that that experience the prejudice and are trying to move through it because that's a hard place yeah. to be in. And um, but we have to do it. And it's it is a prejudice and it's very dangerous. Right. I, I mean, I've definitely heard the point, too, that it's I mean, it's so obvious. But if you have not really been exposed to anyone who's a Muslim uh, in your life, it's it's much, much easier to be, you know, far removed. So should we do uh, hopes and fears? Most of what we talk about is fears. That's like, <laughs> well, that's the show. So what if we just do hopes, you know? Yeah, the, the majority of the show is just one big fear, <laughs> fear sesh. I, I, I have some hopes. One, uh, a federal court struck down gerrymandering in Wisconsin. Hey. There's been a lot of cases around gerrymandering as it relates to mm. race. Well, yeah. And, and I think that this case was slightly different in that. No. In that. They, they, there was another angle that the case was was argued other than race, um, mm-hmm. and it may it may portend well for the future of um, so so. But anyway, they have to redraw their district lines. So basically, by by the next election, like hopefully they will not be gerrymandered, which would be amazing. Mm-hmm. That's my that's one. Tennessee, the Tennessee governor is calling for free public community college for all citizens. Okay. They already have it for recent recent high school grads, which I didn't know, but which is awesome. But he he made a thing calling for free community college for everybody, which I think is great. And then yes. um, Birmingham, Alabama, um, the mayor is trying to make that uh, city a sanctuary city. Birmingham, Alabama, which hey. surprised me, you know, but that was very nice to see, even though the governor of Alabama then said, uh, <laughs> heck no. But um, but well, still, they're standing up for it. And good. it's interesting. Was that an- another executive order? Or he tried to do something to say, like, I'm going to get you sanctuary cities. Yeah, he's he he's threatening to pull funding. And like, the sanctuary you know. cities were like, keep your funding. Well, except for Miami. Did you, did you read that about the-, the the mayor of Miami back down? Yeah, he said he didn't want to lose the federal funding. And hey, we didn't really mean to be a sanctuary city anyway. So they'll all go to Birmingham. When's the next election for him? Exactly. Exactly. That's a good question. <laughs> when when does he get to leave? Anywho, um, at least New York and like Boston and stuff are like, nope, sorry, that's we're not going to do it. Yep. Uh, L.A. And, and San Francisco. Hey, I mean, in all this, you know, I think that looking to local ways to stop the irony of it. Right. You know, I mean, this is what Republicans have been saying totally, forever. 100%. There you go. Here's a lesson. You know, is what can what can your local what can your local laws do to protect against yep. a, you know, tyrannical federal government? Hopeful things. Jesse, do you have yours ready? Or sure. Go? I mean, I just, I just feel like the more 
um, egregious things happen, the more pockets of resistance we see, mm-hmm. the more, right. you know, everyone from corporate CEOs. I, I really liked the story about the federal employees that are kind of gumming up the works. Yeah. If you look at it in one direction, you're like, well, all those people are going to be fired, but I don't find that yet. Um, I, mm-hmm. I, it's just, it's just too big of a mechanism. Um, and there's too many people who are just like, uh, uh-uh, uh, I can't do this. And so yeah. people are, right. they're getting together, they're organizing, they're trying to figure out the best way that, uh, you know, like if you are a civil servant who, Bides by your conscience, you know, what can you do? And so I just like it. And, you know, I, I, yeah. of, of course, obviously the protests uh, at all the airports and beyond that uh, have been heartening as well. There's just a lot of people who are like, nah, 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 nah. Yeah. And, and it's just, it feels like it's sustained, mm-hmm. you know? Right. And, um, you gotta ramp it up. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah, no, that stuff is important. I mean, Take it from someone who studied political mobilization. Like, do not let anyone poo-poo the idea of protest. It's not just cathartic. It's not yeah. just for you to make you feel better. Yeah. It is, it's what creates change. Yeah. The unity, the cohesion, what it what it forces the media to cover and focus on. Like, it's a way to seize the story and it's important and people have to keep it up and, and do it more. You know, I have not been paying as much attention to all the more nuanced stories that come with the big the big breaking news this week because I just because of work obligations. So I have I think less in terms of here's this whole you know, a smaller hopeful thing I've seen or what have you. But something I've been thinking about is just I think the biggest reason to have hope is okay, so you look at how fascism has taken hold in, in parts of the world throughout history. And you look at, you know, the the way the Russian government functions now, for example. But, like, America isn't... <laughs> I, there's no other way to say this except, like, we're America, damn it. Like, it sounds cheesy, yeah. but, like, <laughs> there's a culture... There's a culture of protest. We don't have 150 years of totalitarianism to, like, right. dampen our spirit of, of what can be done. Like, in general, like, sometimes, like, Americans get a, a rap for being sort of naive, but in you know in some yeah. ways or, or earnest but that's one of our strongest assets right now is i totally agree i totally agree is just that there's some, there's something about our national character that even when sometimes we might be blind and naive but there's this the sort of like yearning for betterment like the, the the foundational concept of america for equality that that means something like we have this giant statue of a lady in the harbor of my city you know, re- represents something. And that means something like important to a lot of people. And while there's plenty of times throughout history where that has been ignored and not lived up to, like that's still an important foundational thing. Yeah. No, speaking of political mobilization and like organizing and stuff that's giving me hope, like last week I talked about Swing yeah, Left. Swing Left. There's yeah. all kinds of different. Uh, fivecalls.org. S- sister District. Sister District. Yes. These are all websites, and because we live in <laughs> these, are all, these are all websites. These are all <laughs> even NewYorkTimes.com is a website. No, but the interwebs are a powerful organizing tool, and if you should decide to use it, is there somewhere you can go to make one of those websites? Yes, there is. <laughs> Where's that, Jonathan? The start to any good website is a great domain name. I mean, oh. Swing Left is a great SisterDistrict.com. Fivecalls.org. These are all wonderful names. And if you think of a name that you would like, uh, you should go to the place that we are very uh, excited to again have as a sponsor, Domainer. 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 And that's, again, without uh, the E. So D O M A I N R. 
dot com slash four five one just the numbers don't forget that part don't forget that part very important let them know that you're listening to us so you can go there and you know you have that great domain name in mind and you type it in and uh, maybe it's already taken or something but domainer will just immediately give you all these different options uh that that you can that you can use and um I don't know. I'm I'm laying on the floor because I'm sick right now. But Summer, do you want to? <laughs> yes. <laughs> do, do, do you want to? Uh, yes, I real. I'm ready. I'm you at. Wanna t- you want to type one into Domainer and see and see what we got? Domainer dot com slash four five one. Okay. Protest the Muslim. Protest the Muslim ban is amazingly available. Ooh. Protest the Muslim ban dot com. Is not taken, guys. Yeah, somebody get it. Somebody get it. Somebody nice get it. That's a great one. But you can also do um, all kinds of different versions of this: protestthemuslimban.us.co.org.net or protestthemu.sl/imban. <laughs> See, those are always my favorite. Those are always- <laughs> if you do want to get this domain, protestthemuslimban.com, domainer.com/slash four five one. Let them know you came from us and get this domain and do something really cool with it. That would be amazing. Did you know that dot .love is a domain? What? Oh, yeah. Not to be all like. (laughs) Dot .love. I didn't even know that was impossible. I didn't even. Like you could do like like my Muslim neighbor dot love. Oh, that's good. Like, that's nice. Isn't that cute? Okay. I just immediately thought of my own name. That's so selfish. <laughs> <laughs> Jesse Hirsch dot love. Oh my god. I'll put it on business cards. It'll be great. <laughs> so domainer.com slash four five one. Uh, and thanks so much again to Domainer for, for sponsoring. Thank the you, show. Domainer. Yeah. So, Summer, you had a conversation with uh, Talia Lavin, who does the Resist uh, email. Um, she's got thousands of subscribers, and she sends out. It's not always daily, but it's you know almost every day. Close, um, close. So she has a Resistance newsletter that's fantastic, and it's my main go-to um, newsletter. Yeah, and so she is a professional fact checker, and she uh, works for the New Yorker magazine, which is well known for its rigorous fact checking. It's just well known. I mean. <laughs> In case you haven't heard of it. And she actually spoke to me from her office. Um, So you can hear some fact checking going on in the background. But, um, you know, facts are a thing. There are no alternative facts. Right now, you know, the whole fake news issue and all this stuff, it's it's sometimes hard even for well-meaning people to get good information. And so I spoke with Talia about how to do that. Let's hear that. Thanks for having me. So we were going to talk about information literacy. Uh, But first of all, do you want to tell our listeners what it is that you do that makes you want to talk about information literacy? Yeah, so I'm a fact checker. That's my day job. Um, So my job is to make sure everything is accurate in in news stories. And and that involves everything from spellings to facts to uh, quotes. You could say information literacy is sort of my job. And uh, I just wanted to give podcast listeners a quick primer on how to tell what sources to rely on and why that's important. Yeah. So as I mean, when you're doing your job as a fact checker, what are the different sources that just out of curiosity that you use to 
I'm sure they, they range a lot. But. Yeah, so there are a number of guiding principles. A good sort of first-line source is we check out a reputable publication, something like the New York Times or even Mother Jones or the Washington Post. We try to also make sure that there's a good primary source that things are coming from, and it's not just sort of a media echo chamber, mm-hmm. but that's sort of a little bit like higher level fact-checking. If something is sourced from a book, you want to make sure that it's from a reputable press, like a university press. Basically, in in fact-checking, we follow kind of similar rules to like academic papers where you want to make sure something's not from Wikipedia, it's not from social media, where it has kind of a good, solid, reliable grounding and or is replicated in multiple places. So what is information literacy? So this is a term that I use to mean basically that people should be careful what they're relying on. People should be careful, you know, with the sources that they use. And I say literacy because like literacy, it's a skill, you know, learning how to assess what is a good, reliable source of information, what is actionable information, what's information you should act on. And one of the reasons why I think that that's such a critical topic right now is because there's such an onslaught of information. It's been a really exhausting 11 days. I've been seeing a lot on social media. These, for example, like rogue POTUS staff is is an account that's gotten hundreds of thousands of followers. They claim to be like a group of people in the White House who are like giving you the inside info on what like Trump and Bannon are and and Priebus are like doing. You know, there are a lot of people who are like pretty credible, uh, uh, credulous rather, and um, are looking at this and saying like, oh my God, this is really what's happening. And kind of likewise with the rogue Alt-NASA and like rogue Park Service and all of these accounts. Yeah, I've seen a few of those. I've seen a few of those around. They're on Facebook. They're on Twitter. Yeah, and then, you know, another thing that's going around is like these advisories. Like, oh, like Senator Feinstein has only gotten like 5,000 calls on this particular issue. Like, call her now. You know, even more worryingly or confusingly, like things going around on social media about like draft executive orders. The ban is expanding to these countries and they're really isn't sourcing for that and so okay like the reason why I find this to be of concern is because like there is so much information coming out right now um mm-hmm. and there are leaks <laughs> from the White House um and I think right. it's really important that people not use like their limited bandwidth on unverified and unverifiable information and you bring up the rogue sort of government accounts as an example of something that isn't really doesn't seem verifiable at this point. Yeah, you know, and particularly this rogue POTUS staff. I've had people, you know, I've kind of put out to my followers just like, please don't follow mm. this. Don't retweet this. Mm. It's not verifiable. You know, and they say in their bio, like anyone that tries to identify us, even the press, like will, you know, block you. You know, I wrote to them. I said, like, hey, not trying to identify you, but just like, is there any proof that you can provide that you are who you think? you say you are and right you know was was blocked and i think huh, they blocked you uh yeah and i just for asking yeah <clears throat> certainly did not reply in any way you know some people put out like oh you know i think it's harmless it's just i love palace intrigue and my feeling is like if you love palace intrigue like go watch the tutors go oh, read hillary mantel my. don't potentially mislead people. And you did mention that there are leaks. Uh, from my understanding, obviously information is leaked from government 
uh, depressed all the time. Sometimes unofficially, it's there's a go ahead that's given to sort of leak something. And maybe I've watched the West Wing too much, but information comes out or, or certain reporters at reputable publications have contacts that leak to them. Right. And and the importance of that is reputable publications so that right. you can be relatively certain that a publication like the Washington Post or Politico or um, the New York Times, you know, where I work, we do use blind right. sources. You know, that's like an official says that's not unverifiable information. It's information that has been verified by journalists and editors right. and fact checkers, but is anonymous. And and that's a different story. But not anonymous to you. So your publication and the journalists know who the source is. It's just that you're not broadcasting that to the public, but you're sort of taking the, I don't know, you're taking the responsibility of having vetted that source. Right. And this is, of course, like it's such a volatile time um, to be yeah. a journalist. And every journalist right now is absolutely terrified that if they make an error, they'll be called fake news. So I will give you the caveat <laughs> that journalists are human too, and we make errors. Of course. But I think there's a difference between information that comes to you mediated by, you know, both the judgment and the caution of a reputable publication. We have publications know that like there's a lot to risk if you're publishing mm -hmm. leaks. You want to be extra triple certain that your sources are solid, mm -hmm. especially in like, uh, you know, when you're dealing with a potentially litigious administration. Right. And so I would just encourage listeners to be very careful about where, where you're getting your information. And um, if you see something on social media, whether it's a link to a site, look at the URL. Is it Politicus USA or US Uncut or something that you, you haven't seen before? Or is it from a publication whose name you recognize? Mm -hmm. And even if it's from a, a place like that you might not know, click through. Before you share, click through, take a look. Is there a byline? Are there links in the story? If there aren't any, that's kind of worrying because pretty much every reputable publication will link to their sources. Click mm -hmm. through those links and see where they lead you to. Take a minute, read to the end, especially if it's something with a very inflammatory headline. Like I would really caution um, you guys before you retweet, before you share on Facebook, like take a look at what it is you're sharing. One thing that I saw happening a lot was that, and I did this too, I try to be more careful now, but people were sharing stories from maybe a year before or even six months before uh, as if they were just breaking because the connotation would be different. And maybe that, I don't know if that's something you would caution people to, to check the dates on stories as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, that's a, a very common, um, you know, trick to get a lot of shares is to share a story that happened two years ago and hmm. um, as if it's new. And actually one interesting example of that was Paul Ryan made a statement in July, I believe, about, about like a Muslim ban would be unconstitutional. And um, that tweet that he had put out at the time got very widely shared this past week, you know, mostly as a rebuke as saying like, oh, you know, here's here's what you said then and here's what you're doing now, just supporting the ban. But a lot of people got confused and said like, oh, you know, well, Paul Ryan's out against it. Oh my God. So yeah, check the date. That's a really good point. Another thing is I've seen a lot recently, these sort of copy and paste statuses like, oh, you know, call this senator about uh, this issue today. I think it's always great to call your representatives, a huge proponent. You know, if you have an unsourced thing come your way on social media, take a second, like an extra five minutes at most, just like Google it. Um, see, okay, like, yeah. so let's say it says, you know, Lisa Murkowski is waffling on the Betsy DeVos 
you know, nomination. In that case, that is true, can encourage your Alaskan friends to give her office a call. But, you know, just, just, just double check. I will, I will just say to folks, like, you know, the reason I know I sound like a big nerd slash wet blanket, but the reason why I think this is important is because this is a time where so many of us are really struggling to keep up with the news, um, struggling to keep up with what feels like total information saturation and overload and sort of allowing yourself to get suckered in <laughs> to, to this stuff that may very well be misinformation really doesn't aid the cause. And, and, and the best opposition is a well-informed one um, and an accurately informed one. Right. I see sometimes people sharing things that exaggerates the, you know, a negative situation, maybe to sort of further fuel like the outrage machine or or, or what have you. And it seems just taking a second to to check to check things before sharing seems like a bigger deal than it should. <laughs> like another perfect example is like there's, you know, uh, there's been a ton of concern about Steve Bannon. And very mm-hmm. recently, um, people were sharing something like an obscure law means that the Senate has to confer Bannon. He can't just join the National Security Council. I poked around and I found that Lawrence Tribe, who's a a constitutional expert and actually he you know he's a, a really big voice uh, talking about the emoluments clause talking about the 25th amendment you know he's not a, like a trumper <laughs> he said actually i looked at the statute and there's no law that requires bannon to be confirmed by the senate i still think it's a bad idea that he's on the national security council before you share a meme like that like oh this is our one last hope be very very careful with something that gives you either undue hope or undue rage <laughs> uh, right and like the more emotional it makes you, the more careful you should be. I would say sharing inflammatory and like inaccurate information undermines your credibility. Um, it undermines the credibility of the people who then like share it. Spreading misinformation as a whole, like I believe is something that we should all avoid. Right. Well, it seemed like, I mean, in the past year, especially that obviously played a large role in the election and the information people had about the candidates. And, and now, that, now that the contest ended, regrettably, as it did, we are absolutely in a time that is, I think, dangerous, that is troubling. That's why I think we have to double down on the idea that, no, our facts are not alternative. Um, they are real. Uh, we have to double down on the value of truth. Um, and we are making damn sure that every source of our outrage, every source of our consternation is fully grounded. Yeah. And you were saying that, you know, it's, it's normal for even reputable publications and journalists to make mistakes from time to time, but it's just a question of, you know, a general vetting process and integrity or, you know, the thing about a publication is that every time we publish a story, um, we put our reputation on the line. The more reputable the publication, um, the stricter that vetting process will be. Uh, and even mm-hmm. when it comes to like a conservative source, like the Wall Street Journal, you, you can be reasonably mm-hmm. certain that the facts that are contained within are, you know, as well sourced as possible. And again, this is right. This is a human chain. Uh, no one, no publication is immune to human error. Oh, another thing to watch out for. I'm okay. sorry. Um, no, not at all. I mentioned looking at the URL of, of websites before. And yes. a very common fake news trick is to add .co or a similar appendix to what seems like the URL of a reputable publication. So for example, like abcnews.com.co will be a source huh. of, of misleading news stories. Really, I guess if I want to give your 
listeners anything to a couple of like ground rules to take away from right. take it from a professional fact checker here 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 are three <laughs> tips um one if something especially outrages you um or makes you feel a, a very strong emotion take a look and see if it is replicated in other sources particularly in reputable news sources to really take a look at the url of the source that you're going to share and click click through read the whole thing check the links check the author take a look at something before you share it give it a, a good long look and uh number three do not put your trust in things that are unverified and un unverifiable like those rogue accounts mm -hmm. because you don't know you don't know who's behind them you don't know what they're trying to make you think or why. In general, if something's telling you exactly what you want to hear, it's a good reason to take a step back and say, who's providing this information? I would really strongly ask anyone who considers themselves a member of the resistance to imbue your information con consumption with a, a sense of fact-checkerly skepticism and, uh, and thoroughness. Because at the end, uh, as I said earlier, uh, an informed opposition is is a, a stronger one. Those are very good um, pieces of advice. Yeah, and thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, thank you very much. It's possible that like some of the alt government things are 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 real, but. There's also a, a clear like like Twitter handle land grab that happened where it was just like like a quick and easy way to get a ton of followers was to call yourself an alt thing and and no one you know no and you're one like alt NASA and now you have like three hundred followers yeah you know and and so um, I think viewing that with some skepticism is definitely so that's good is just to kind of keep in mind and one thing she recommended which felt like revolutionary she said you know she said um read the whole article before you share it and i was yeah. like oh. yeah what? <laughs> that's crazy what a i concept. only i do i do this way too often but i i and i know i'm not alone but i like i'll read the headline yeah. and just share yeah, it. Like, totally a, of course a terrible thing to do but but but, but i'm getting I, I feel like this is this is teaching us all to get a lot better about that stuff it right? is like, like it yeah. Is. Yeah. there was a um a, me a meme of uh mayor bloomberg Talk, yeah. talking about what a con man Donald Trump was. And I, I was like, ooh, that's a juicy quote. I like it. I, I just want to retweet. My finger hovered above the retweet button, and then I went to <laughs> Snopes, and it yeah. turns out he never said that thing. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Yeah. yeah. Save myself like, embarrassment. Yeah. Sadly, I think that, um, like, Churchill didn't actually defend funding for the arts. Yeah, somebody who I follow who's a copy editor was like, yeah, of course Churchill said that. Right after, you know, Gandhi said that thing about yeah. the internet or whatever. And I was like, all right, fine. Summer, you want to – we've been talking for, like – an hour. Oh my god! Summer, do you wanna you wanna take us? Do you feel like taking us home? I feel like feel up to that. Take us home, Summer. Anyone that you'll talk to about organizing and about activism and about like combating bad things, fascism, whatever it is, will talk about the need to like center yourself and be strong before you sort of make those moves. And that's what we you know last week our guest, the yeah, Rabbi Timoner said that, and um. I just want to give an extra push for that, that that's sort of how you have to do it. I mean, I asked a question about activism to this like Buddhist teacher, Ajahn somebody, and he worked with like two sides of this conflict in, in Myanmar. And that's what he said. He's like, if you're going to like walk into the fire of a conflict, you have to be so strong in yourself. Otherwise you're going to quickly get you know, burned up. Wow. Yeah. And, um, and so that's like a real thing. It's not selfish. Taking a nap can be a radical act. Yeah. It's, it's basically just, I mean, even if you're thinking about it in terms of a fight and you want to use military metaphors, it's like, 
you get your act together before you go in. Like you're 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 doing yeah. your fellow protesters or whatever a disservice if you're if you're not kind of bringing your best to it anyway. Um, and also there's just different levels. And I mean, um, I was reading this really sad story about a teenager who committed suicide, and they've charged one of the people that was bullying him with um, involuntary manslaughter. And it just got me thinking about like cruelty in the country in general, and that there's this wave of it rising. Um, but also a lot of people trying to combat it. And I think that that's even just trying to oppose that in small ways, whether it's like within your own home or your own building or your own neighborhood or your own town or city or whatever, is just when the politics seem overwhelming, you don't know what to do. You can still check in with that basic, like on that basic human level of cruelty, like kindness has to stop being cheesy or we're doomed. But, but, but I feel I feel so much earnest, so much more earnest these days. I feel like. Yeah. Totally, you know, unapologetically embracing a, a simple sentiment like that feels so good. It right. does. It does. No, but it's tr- it it's true bad. though. I mean, they, and the alternate, like, we, like we're gonna. Of course, it's true. Yeah. Otherwise, we're gonna die by snark. You know, like being being cool yeah. and the first to rush to condemn something and be mean yeah. is look where it's gotten us. So. Yeah. Anyway, guys. Um, All right. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Hey folks, Jonathan here with a little fact checking. That Wisconsin gerrymandering case I was talking about was the first to be argued on the grounds that the districts were drawn in a way that gave an unfair advantage to the GOP, whereas other cases have been argued based on the racial disparity. The monk summer mention was Ajahn Junian. He was from Thailand, not Myanmar. Sorry this episode is late this week. We had some illness among us, which slowed us down. If you enjoy the show and want to help us keep going, there's a few things you can do. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash the 451, all spelled out. Another simple thing you can do is leave us a review and or rating on iTunes. It really helps people find us. Of course, you can always just tell someone about us and tell them to listen to us. That helps too. You can follow us all on Twitter. Summer is at Summer Brennan. Jesse is at Jesse underscore Hirsch. And I'm at Songaday Man with two N's like my name. Thanks so much for listening, and this has been the 451, a podcast for the resistance. Hi, my name's Andy, and I'm a big fan. I just wanted to leave you all a message because I had a really funny experience today while listening to the podcast. I was walking somewhere in Midtown in New York, and I happened to walk kind of into Samantha Power and Senator Murphy from Connecticut, and it was a really uplifting moment. I introduced myself, I thanked them for their service, and it was really great to hear them that they were plotting to see what their next moves would be. It's nice to feel heard and to find community, and sometimes it's just two people on the sidewalk in New York that aren't just two people. And anyway, in any case, uh, thank you for everything you're doing. Um, thanks. Hi, my name is Megan. I am calling from Davis, California, and I am just calling to let you know what I'm doing to resist. Um, I'm calling my representative daily. I'm also um, using a system called Daily Action Alerts, which sends a text message every day of an action to take daily. I'm meeting weekly with a group that was organized in my town at a grassroots level on a weekly basis uh, after the election. And at this very moment, I'm heading to a rally in our town. Um, This week, the Islamic Center of our town um, was vandalized. 
And so we're expecting a one maybe even up to 15,000 or 1,500 people to um, come rally today um, in our small town to show our support for um, the Islamic Center of Davis.